Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. How many of you love Christmas? I love Christmas and Christmas traditions. My name is Pastor Ashley, and in the Wilkerson house, we have lots of Christmas traditions. But how many of you have started a tradition that you kind of regret? Anyone? Any parents in the house that operate with the elf on the shelf? Anyone? Okay, so if you're not a parent, or if you have kids that are maybe older than 12 or 13, there is a gift that comes in our house. It's an elf that shows up the morning after we decorate our Christmas tree. This year, the elf didn't show up the morning after, and we realized it's because all of Pastor JF's family was still in town, and he wanted to wait until they left. How many of you know how that is? Right. And so the thing about this elf is that he looks like kind of a a toy elf, but in the middle of the night, he moves, okay, to different shelves, right? And I would have brought him in today, but the rule is that humans can't touch him or he won't move anymore. And sometimes in our house, the elf doesn't move. You wake up in the morning and the kids go, wait, mom, the elf didn't move. And sometimes we have to search for reasons why the elf might not have moved. (laughs) Did you touch him, kids? It's got to be your fault, right? (laughs) Can't be mom or dad's. But it becomes an interesting tradition that if I'm honest, I wish I had never started. Know what I'm talking about? Now these uh, parents go above and beyond, right? Their elves are next level elves. So their elves, like, make big messes. Guys, I already have enough creatures in my house that make messes. I don't need my elf to make messes. I've heard a thing about uh, some elves decorating other people's doors. Who are these people that have this much time on their hands? I I don't understand these elves. But I was talking to a friend of mine and uh, a couple, and they were talking about a tragic issue that had happened with their elf. That two days after the elf had come to their home and continued their tradition, that they woke up one morning and had found that their elf had a cast on his leg and a doctor's note attached to him. The doctor's note says that Billy, your elf, was very naughty yesterday and fell climbing from a ladder that he shouldn't have been on. He has broken his leg and is not allowed to move for three weeks. (laughs) Glory to God. And so what did I do? I had them send me a picture and I walked to Izzy and Fulton and I said, look, look what happened to their elf. What if, what if that happened to our elf? What would we do? I mean, you know, we really need to pray that he doesn't do anything risky. We wouldn't want that to happen to our elf. And Izzy said, oh, mom, we serve a mighty God. I would lay hands on him and he'd be healed in Jesus' name. And I thought, man, I can't catch a break. 
I love it. But I thought, man, if we could just have that perspective that Izzy has about how powerful, how mighty our God is that whatever we face, that that's our first response. Oh, man, my God is powerful. My God is mighty. He has got this. Our anchor verse for this entire series, A Thrill of Hope, is based on that. The idea that our hope never comes from us. It always comes from who God is. And I love this passage because it's a prophecy found in Isaiah that literally lists out four of the names of God, four characteristics that truly describe who He is. And why don't we look at that together? Isaiah 9, if you have your Bibles or it's going to be on the screens, we'll start in verse 6. The prophecy that's talking about Christmas, talking about the birth of Jesus Christ, reads, for unto us, say us, a child is born. To us, say us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. That's what we talked about last week, right? He'll be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government, the way he will rule, the way he will reign, the way he will set things up to operate of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Why? Why would, why, why would Isaiah list out these names of Jesus in this way? Because it's so important that we understand not only where our hope lies, but in whom our hope lies, and also his characteristics. We are going to talk about Amazon Fresh in just a little bit at the end of service. And God's doing really exciting, awesome things. And in the next couple of weeks, we look to open what we'll be calling a, the Church for All Nations Free Supermarket. Why will we be calling it the Free Supermarket? Because everything's free. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why wouldn't I call it the super expensive, extravagant, exclusive supermarket? Because that doesn't describe it, right? And in the exact same way, Scripture lists these names of Jesus because it's important that we understand that we go into this hope that He brings, understanding His characteristics and what and who he is. And so last week, Pastor JF talked about Jesus as our wonderful counselor. Wonderful, meaning our minds can't even comprehend it. It's wonder-filled. Counselor, our advocate, the God that walks with us through everything that we face. And this week, from that passage, we're going to talk about the very next name that Isaiah lists and it's mighty God. So it's so important this morning that we understand he's not only wonderful counselor, he is also mighty God. Now, most of us know what the term mighty means, but sometimes it helps to 
look at it again with a different perspective. The term mighty literally means possessing great power and strength. He's not only wonderful counselor, but he is the God that possesses incredible, great power and strength. And he alone is our hope. And that's why we get thrilled with the hope that he brings. And so this morning, thinking about how Izzy, my little eight-year-old Izzy, looks at our mighty, powerful strength-filled God. And I thought, Lord, how can we begin to see you in that way fresh and new again? And this last couple weeks, he revealed to me three pictures in the Christmas story. Three pictures that I hope as you continue to reflect on those this morning, this week, this month, this year, you will begin to approach every single situation in your life understanding that you have a mighty God that is your hope. The very first picture, the first clue from the Christmas story that I want to look at today about how mighty our God is, is remember the count. Remember the count. Everyone say count. Remember the count. We're going to look at passages in Matthew and in Luke, the accounts of Jesus' birth in both chapters. But first, I want to look at Luke. We'll look at Luke 2, starting in verse 1. The account of Jesus being born. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census, Underline census, that account, a record, accounting, an accounting for, should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Verse 3, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem. So he had to leave where he was and go to Bethlehem in Judea, a town he'd never been to before because it was David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting the child. Remember the count. Pastor Ashley, why would that be part of recognizing how mighty, how strength-filled God is? Because friends, if we don't pause throughout our lives, if we don't stop and look back at everything God has done for us, everything God has done to make provisions, everything God has done to intervene and make a way, we will often miss just how strong he is, just how mighty he is. And it's so important that we stop 
and we make a list. We make a literal count. Guys, I take this very seriously. In fact, I brought this with me today. One of, don't tell her, but one of Izzy's Christmas gifts that I found that I will wrap and put under the tree this year is a five-year memory journal. You can find them on Amazon. They're like 10 bucks. It's so beautiful. But what I love about it is it's five years of pages and it has dates with three lines. And underneath, my daughter and I are going to list three things that God did for us that day. Every night before we fall asleep, what are we going to do? We're going to make a count. We're going to count the things that our mighty God has done for us because I can promise you, whether you recognize it or not, he has. And that is required for us to have the faith for the Lord to move in our lives in the way that he desires. What most of you don't even understand is that when you post online or when you send me a text or an email telling me about what God's done for you, I screenshot it and I save it on my phone. Why? Because I'm taking account. You know what? Yesterday we were unpacking some of the food that was delivered from Amazon Fresh. What was it? Was it 19 pallets yesterday? 24 pallets. See, come on. Oh, God is good. And we'll talk about that in a second. But Miss Moana, anybody know Miss Moana? Miss Moana, are you in the house? I think she comes to the 11 a.m. Incredible matriarch of such a beautiful family. And what some of you don't understand is that a couple weeks ago, Miss Moana came down to the front row, to me, maybe it was three weeks now, with tears in her eyes, and she said, Pastor Ashley, I need you to pray for me. And I've asked her permission to share this. She gave it to me last night via text. But she said, I uh, just got a call from my doctor, and they found a brain tumor. And it's serious. And I haven't even told my family yet. She said, I need you to anoint me, and we're going to agree together. And I said, Miss Moana, let's do it. And we prayed together on that front row, and she let me know a few days later that the doctor had gone ahead and scheduled surgery, and her surgery was, is to be this coming week. And so we've been praying. We've been praying not only as staff members, we've been praying at Wednesday noon prayer, which by the way is such an incredible move of God. I want to encourage you. If you can pray wherever you are at work or if you can get here in the house, Wednesday noon, it is so powerful. Such a time that we get to spend with the Lord. But yesterday, and I have my phone with me because this is how I take account, friends. Yesterday, Miss Moana walked up to me and she said, Pastor Ashley, I've got some news. And I said, tell me. And she said, you know, my surgery is scheduled. And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. We've been praying. And she said, the doctor called me yesterday and said, it's canceled. Because my labs came back and the Lord is healing me and I no longer need surgery. In Jesus' name. She said, my God is so mighty. He is so powerful. And what did I do? (laughs) I said, 
Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. And I videoed her and I keep it on my phone. Why did I do that? Because I take account, friends. I take account. There's a story in Matthew 16. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, which, as you guys know, wasn't really 5,000. It was more like 20,000. Jesus has just performed that miracle with the loaves and the fishes, and there was 12 baskets of leftovers. And I've taught you this before, but it bears remembering. And in that, in in the passage in Matthew 16, go, I would say go read it tonight. Jesus is warning his disciples against falling into the teachings of the Pharisees. What were the Pharisees teaching? They weren't necessarily teaching how mighty God is. They were teaching how much power they have, how much power they have in their actions, how much power is in their lives, right? Not looking at who God is. And Jesus told them that you will be aware of the false teachings of the Pharisees if you remember the loaves. What was Jesus saying? He said, if you'll just keep account, if you'll keep account, if you'll keep a record in your mind, in your heart, all the time of what I keep doing for you over and over and over, then you will understand that it ain't about you. It's not about how strong you are. It's not how powerful you are. It's how mighty our God is. And so when I tell you that census was called, I want it to be a picture to you of the count that God is calling you to take. But here's what I want you to see. You know, when that census was called, Joseph and Mary weren't allowed to stay where it was comfortable. They weren't allowed to stay in surroundings that were familiar. You know what? I even asked the Lord this week. I said, Lord, why? Why did you make them go to Bethlehem? Bethlehem, house of bread. Why did you make them go and have the bread of life in a bakery, right? Why, Lord? Like it wasn't hard enough already? You made her go have this baby in a foreign land. I had my first baby in the foreign land of Los Angeles. It ain't fun. No family, nothing. Like, Lord, why? And as clearly as I've ever heard the Holy Spirit, he said, because so often you can't take an accurate count of my power in your life unless I pull you out of what's comfortable. Unless I pull you out of what's familiar. Unless I pull you out of those same old surroundings. So often the Lord has to pull us out of those situations so we can really see his power operating in our lives. And so friend, maybe that's you here today. Maybe the Lord has got you in a situation. He's called you out of comfort and you are in something that is so foreign. Nothing is familiar and maybe, just maybe, God has you there so you can get an accurate count of how powerful He is, our mighty God. Remember the count. The second picture I have that the Lord showed me this week, not just remembering the count to see how mighty he is, but number two is remember the castle. Everybody say castle. Castle. 
What is she talking about? Yeah, I wanted them to start with C. I think you remember things better when they all start with the same letter, right? So you're remembering the count, but you're also remembering a castle. What are you talking about, Pastor Ashley? My nativity scene doesn't have a castle. Yes, but there's a castle in the scripture. Look with me, Matthew 2. Starting in verse 1, Scripture says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, which were wise men, they were astronomers, they were scientist kings, we three kings, we don't know if there were three, but there were three gifts, which is why we assume there's three. And then the song says it, but that doesn't mean there was only three. They came from the east. They came to Jerusalem. Whoa, 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 wait. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Why are these brilliant scientist kings showing up in Jerusalem? So they came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Why are these wise men showing up in Jerusalem? Because they were looking for a king. And that's where Herod's palace was. Pastor Ashley, a palace is not a castle. Oh, but it is. In fact, I found a picture, just in case you wanted to refute this. This is the tiny bit that is left of Herod's palace there in Jerusalem. You can't tell me that didn't look like a castle right? Why do we need to remember the castle? Friends, even the most brilliant minds of that time, individuals that not only knew history, they knew prophecy, they knew astronomy, they knew how to read stars, they were watching for the stars, and yet because of their assumptions about how God was going to move, they miss it at first. They go looking for a castle because that's the only where, that's the only place kings can reside, right? And boy, we do this all the time. We assume we understand exactly the only ways God moves. We assume we understand the only ways God's power can work in our lives. And so often in those moments, we are looking for castles and the Lord's going, no, 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 you need to, you need to look for me. You need to look for me. I'm the mighty God. I'm the mighty King. Any of you women that are in the women's Bible study, you know that my biggest pet peeve is not only toilet paper being wrapped the wrong way, but it is it's supposed to go over. Okay. What'd you talk about today? Toilet paper. But my pet peeve is when individuals take tiny portions of scripture out of context and use it for things that are just not appropriate. My son did this the other day. That doesn't mean they're not learning the word in preschool. This is probably my fault, way more than Miss Jones, but he was trying to jump. We were putting decorations on the Christmas tree and he had climbed up to the top of the ladder and was gonna jump off of it onto the coffee table. I'm like, no, 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 no. 
And what does he tell me? Mom, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I can promise you, I've heard worse uses of that scripture, okay? I was looking at that scripture this week, and Paul speaks to exactly that concept of looking for castles instead of looking for the king. And he says in Philippians 4, looking at verse 12 and 13, we'll start with 12, I know what it is to be in need. Meaning, I I know poverty. Paul knew all of it, right? Spiritual poverty, real poverty. And I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to live in palaces, castles. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I feel fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Okay, so Paul's saying, "I, I know the secret of where my hope is. I know where my thrill of hope lies. I know how to be content in all of it because my eyes are on him. How can I keep my eyes on him? How can I be content regardless of where I am? Verse 13, I can do all this, meaning content with whatever I'm walking through. I can do this through him who gives me strength. So I have hope and I keep my hope in the Lord, not in castles, not in what I see, not in what I assume God's going to do. Why? By his strength. It is not about me. It's about his power. It's about his might. And he is the mighty God. Remember the count. Remember the castle. God's not always going to operate in the ways that you assume, friends, in the places, in the opportunities. Lastly, remember the cave. Remember the count. Remember the castle. Remember the cave. Back to the account in Luke as the band comes back. Luke 2, starting in verse 5, he, meaning Joseph, went there, meaning Bethlehem, to register for that count with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby, Jesus, to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, a watering trough, the living water born into a watering trough. Don't miss these pictures because there was no guest room available for them. Most of you know, we've taught this before, that this room that Jesus was born in, this stable, I love how our nativity scenes make it so beautiful for our mantle and for our coffee table. But at the end of the day, friends, Jesus was born in a cave, in a dark cave full of animals, full of excrement. He wasn't born in a beautiful home. He wasn't born around family, although we know historically that family would have been nearby, but they'd rejected them. 
He was born in a cave full of mess. Why? What's the picture there? Well, we get that, right? That His mightiness, the mightiness of our God was made for your mess. He was made for my mess. He wasn't born in a beautiful hospital. There wasn't a birthing center with midwives and essential oils, nothing like that. Born in a cave full of animal filth all around. The mightiness deciding to show us a clear picture of how willing He is to walk into our messes. And I love how Paul, who I think was the best in understanding this, because Paul had all kinds of messes. I believe he had mental messes. You gotta understand his past. An actual Christian executioner. And so I think that He had messes, not only in his past, but stuff that he dealt with in his mind and things around him. And I love how Paul explains it like this in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I have so many weaknesses and there's one specific weakness, right? Verse 8 says, three times I I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But the Lord responded with, My grace is sufficient for you. My power, Paul, my might, Paul, is actually made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? That means, Paul, you will never understand how strong I am until you are in your weakest moments. The people around you cannot get a clear picture of just how mighty of a God I am if you always look strong. In your weakness is when my strength is most clearly seen. And Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. When I was reading this, I thought about an athlete by the name of Derek Redmond. I don't know if you remember this story, but it was a powerful one. It was all over the news. Derek Redmond was a British athlete, world-renowned, incredibly fast at the 400 meter had broken record after record in Britain. And in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, he was slated to win by a landslide in the 400 meter dash. And I remember watching this live. But I think about this story because if you watch it, and we have a video here, I want you to play the video. If you watch it, the race starts and he's running in all of his strength and all of his training and everything that he's done to build up to this point. And when he hits the 250 yard mark, his hamstring snaps. 
And if you watch here, he immediately grabs his leg and he falls to the ground. And he realizes that everything he's built up, all of his strength, all of his power in that moment is gone. Everything in him is crushed. And then all of a sudden, there's a man as he's limping, determined to finish the race. There's a gentleman that is pushing through security. Let me through. I need to get to my son. And if you watch, he pushes them aside and says, you don't understand. He looks weak to you, but he is my son. And my strength will get him across the finish line. And friends, I have to tell you, our God, our God sees us the exact same way. This week I prayed and the Lord showed me there are individuals in this room right now that you feel like it has everything to do with your strength, friends. You feel like you started this race and you thought you were prepared and never in a million years did you think that you would falter. And when you fell, you thought, well, you know what? I should just quit the race. I'm not even a Christian anymore. Anybody that falls like this, I can't even do it. Friends, that is a lie of the enemy. His mightiness was made for your mess. He is the God that runs to you and he holds you and he crosses that finish line with you. Proverbs tells us, that the righteous, not the wicked, the righteous fall seven times and rise again. How do they rise again? Not by their own strength. They rise because there's a father who runs to them and holds them and walks across the finish line for you. Bow your heads. I want to pray for you. Today, friends, we serve a mighty God that is not concerned about your strength. In fact, he loves your weakness. He came here to be seen holding you in this race, not so your strength could be shown, but so that his love and strength and might could be on display for the world. Maybe you thought because you've fallen at this race, maybe you thought because you fell after that gun went off at the starting line and you were running hard and you thought this is gonna be so simple I'll just keep running my eyes on Jesus and then you fell maybe it was something you did maybe it was something someone did to you and you thought in that moment well I I must not even be in the race or maybe maybe Lord I'm not even a Christian Friends, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Your heavenly Father runs to you. He knew you wouldn't be enough. That's why Jesus came in the first place for your mess. He is a mighty God. There is nothing you have done that is too much. There's no mess that is too great. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hand in your own words, because He knows you better than you know yourself. He created you. He had a plan for you before you were even born into your mess. He had a plan and His name is Jesus.
and he is holding you now. In your own words, tell him, say, Lord, Lord, I am yours. I am so tired of trying to run in my own strength. I am so tired of trying to run in my own power. Lord, I want you. You are my mighty God. I want to live this life totally for you, Lord. Take all my sin, all my shame, all my plans, anything good I have. Lord, take it all. I want to live this life running with you. Friends, if you said that prayer, all of heaven is rejoicing. And you know what? You won't get it right all the time. You won't. Friends, your pastors don't get it right all the time. Understand, we have that same loving God who is mighty, who is mighty, and whose strength carries us in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you just want prayer to continue to, to rely on His strength like never before, if you want prayer in helping to really keep an accurate count of just all the amazing things He's done for you, if you want prayer to help not to just assume He's moving in castles, but know that He is there in the cave, in the mess, if that's you, I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand. I have my hand lifted. I, I want that. I, I want help with that, right? Lord, you see our hands, you know our hearts. Lord, thank you that you are not only the wonderful counselor, you are the mighty God. You are the God whose strength is so, so massive, so incredible, so beyond anything that we could imagine that you carry us. Help us to keep that count, Lord. Help us to begin to recognize all the ways that you're moving in our life all the things that you've done, all the things that you're doing, all the things that you're going to do. Help us not look just to castles, Lord. Help us see you in the middle of the mess and feel your arms around us, carrying us across that finish line. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.